When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The amount of water that's been rising is basically a 500-year flood of that. He complimented me. He thanked me for the immediate response we had. He told me how much he appreciated it. He offered support. I told him the thanks for this. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top name. Government funding is set to run out Friday at midnight, roughly 40 hours from now. On the very first day, our very first bill will repeal the 87,000 IRS agents. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Ian heads back to hurricane strength after leaving a 150-mile path of destruction in Florida and forcing two political rivals to work together. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as rescue efforts begin and focus now returns to weakness in our infrastructure. We'll get an update shortly from South Florida and talk about the job ahead with former FEMA Administrator Craig Fugate. Later, the Senate passes legislation to fund the government. Actually got it done, sending it to the House ahead of a Friday deadline. We'll talk about what's next with Bloomberg Congress reporter Laura Davison. Analysis from our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano along with Republican strategist Adam Goodman from Tufts Fletcher School. Catastrophic damage in Florida. As Hurricane Ian carves a 150-mile path of destruction through the state, Governor Ron DeSantis says it's historic. The amount of water that's been rising and will likely continue to rise today, even as the storm is passing, uh, is basically a 500-year flood event. DeSantis staying in close contact with President Biden, as we told you yesterday, that continues. Both today we're speaking fairly well of each other. I just spoke with the president this morning. Uh, he offered support. I told him the thanks for this, but because the storm has moved uh, inland and caused uh, a lot of potential damage in the center part of our state, that we were going to be asking for those counties to be expanded. And of course, President Biden was asked about the same thing, their relationship, their conversations. What did you guys say? He made a visit to FEMA headquarters in Washington. It's totally irrelevant, but I'll answer it, okay? In fact, very fine. He complimented me. He thanked me for the immediate response we had. He told me how much he appreciated it, said he was extremely happy with what was going on. This is not about whether or anything having to do with our disagreements politically. This is about saving people's lives, homes, and businesses. That's what this is about. 
And so I've been I've talked to him four or five times already. And it's not a matter of my disagreements with them on other items. The two steering around politics today as they deal with the matter at hand. Clearly, we begin our coverage on the ground in Florida. Bloomberg's Will Wade specializes in power and renewable energy. He's been traveling through the state. He's now in Tampa, which mercifully dodged a bit of a bullet. Will, thank you for being with us. Is there any power there? Yeah, Tampa mostly has power, although I can tell you there's a gasoline shortage I just had to fill my tank after looking at 11 gas stations. Wow. And Tampa's lucky that it has power to pump the, the gasoline pumps. I was down in Port Charlotte most of the day. There's no power there. The whole area has no power, and it's going to be several days, a week, before they can get the power back up. There's a lot of damage to all the power lines. What's the situation statewide in terms of the power grid? Is that typical of what you're seeing across the state? Yeah, it is typical. I think I heard that there's at least 2 million homes and businesses that don't have electricity. The storm came ashore in southwest Florida, basically went to the middle of the state, turned north, went all the way up through the center of the state, across all the orange groves, passed Mm -hmm. over Orlando. Disney World has been shut down, so I guess Mm -hmm. that's a lot of power demand that they don't need. Headed out near Jacksonville towards the Atlantic. So there's people without power all across Florida. This is what happens when a huge hurricane passes by. Well, certainly like this one. What kind of flooding, if any, are you seeing at this point in Tampa? and, And how does that compare to where you were earlier? Oh, nothing in Tampa. Tampa got a lot of wind, a lot of yep. rain last night. It was definitely serious. I was glad to be indoors. Huh. But when I was down in uh, Port Charlotte, there were yeah. flooded roads, lots and lots of huge trees that had blown over, some on top of houses. Uh, you know what was interesting is that a lot of intersections, the streetlights had blown down. They were literally, you know, big red, yellow, green traffic signals hanging down from their wires in the wow. middle of the intersection. Incredible. Some of them they were gone it's like blown them completely away so even when the power gets back get gets turned back on it's going to be a while before they can get the signals going and traffic moving will thank you so much and appreciate all the reporting that you've done uh today will wade bloomberg energy reporter with us to start things off on sound on and we add a voice of experience now in craig fugate who famously oversaw the big four of oh four if you remember the four major hurricanes of that year when he was administrator of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, now Chief Emergency Resilience Officer at One Concern. Craig, thanks for joining us today. I know how busy you are. How much trouble is Florida in right now? Well, this is going to be a long recovery. Um, Yeah, I think the power outages across the areas uh, to the north and northeast, those are going to come back quick. Those were trees on power lines, busted transformers. the utilities will get that back up relatively quick. Down where your reporter's at, the system's destroyed. So they're not just mm-hmm. going to be fixing it. They're going to have to rebuild it. Wow. And the storm surge damage down there, I mean, people throw the term around catastrophic a lot. But this area, this is the worst hurricane impact they've ever had in their history. It is their version of Hurricane Andrew on that southwest coast. Yes. Wow. That's saying something. Governor DeSantis earlier today essentially saying that Sanibel Island, large portions of Sanibel Island are just wiped out. The road getting out there uh, is uh, is underwater or, or destroyed. How long is it going to take, uh, Craig, before we actually have, have a real sense of the level of destruction that's been done? I would say over the next couple of days, again, the, the big focus is just getting back in these areas to do search and rescue, get the people yeah. that have been cut off and trapped. Uh, but as you're doing that, you'll get a better sense. But this is why 
you know, we've always talked about this. You've heard the Hurricane Center talk about it. They were really emphasizing storm surge in water. You know, a lot of times people focus on wind, but a lot of this you're seeing where these bridges were taken out, the overtopping and cutting some of these islands and the destruction. Yeah. This is mainly the water and storm surge. The federal government is going to play a huge role here. Obviously, President Biden today pledging, you know, whatever Florida needs and states of emergency are already in place. Is this going to be a record setter? I mean, the amount of money, the amount of funding and, and manpower that will be needed to, to fix this and to your point to rebuild it. It's going to be up in the top 10. I don't know if it yep. gets up to the top five. We'll find that out. But let's remind everybody, when we talk to federal government, we're talking about you and me as taxpayers. And this is one of the things that we do as a nation. We come together for states that are hit, both R's and D's. You know, I've been on both sides of this. But this is our tax dollars at work, and this is going to be an expensive recovery. Well, it sure is. And there's a big conversation going on right now about our infrastructure and whether we have the funding necessary to to not just uh, rebuild in places like Florida hit by storms, but to upgrade around the country so they are more resilient. Does that create an opportunity to to do something uh, that might help Florida in the future, Craig? Absolutely. I mean, if we build it back the way it was, we're fools because it's going to get hit again. I mean, this is where we need to really think seriously about it. It's better to spend a little bit more money on the front end hmm. and build resiliency into our communities and infrastructure. So when storms happen in the future, yes, they'll be damaging, but they won't be catastrophic and will recover faster. And that's something that we need to think about across the nation. Just going by our past history is not preparing us for what is happening with these extreme weather events. Yeah. And we cannot continue to afford to go back and rebuild and rebuild and rebuild after these disasters. Craig Fugate, when you look across the state, uh, how does, the, how does the, the inland area compare to the coast? I mean, when you, when you watch this storm go right up over Orlando, uh, how severe will the damage be away from the water? You know, it's going to be kind of spotty. One good thing is because Florida has been strengthening the building code since Hurricane Andrew and after 2004 hurricane seasons, yeah. uh, a lot of newer construction will do pretty good. We did have some pockets of flooding. You saw nursing homes and other places that had to be evacuated where we get ponding. You know, Florida is not a very uh, high elevation. When we get water, it's going to go to the low spots and pond up. Uh, so it's going to be pockets of damage, like right now in uh, St. Augustine, they're getting flooding downtown. So there'll be pockets of it, but it won't be the catastrophic damage that's very concentrated on that part of the southwest coast. You know, we heard uh, Governor DeSantis repeat words from the sheriff of Lee County earlier today that there could be uh, reports, at least there could be fatalities in the hundreds, Craig. What did you make of that, and in, in, in how does that uh, square with, with the level of storm that we're talking about? You know, what I found a long time ago, and this goes all the way back to Hurricane Andrew, but if you remember her, uh, the tornadoes that hit Joplin, the early estimates, yeah. it's very hard to get uh, good numbers. And so, you know, when I was at Florida, we had a pretty ironclad rule that until uh, the medical examiner is able to certify the death, we didn't give out official numbers because it's just such, such a range. And you got to remember, we got loved ones here that don't know. And you want to make sure right. you're able to notify next of kin before, you know, that starts coming out. So, uh, and if you remember Joplin, we had up to 3,000 people reported missing that were possibly concerned that they may be fatalities. Turned out it was duplicate list. And though the loss of life was horrific, huh. 
Wow. It wasn't 3,000. It was in the hundreds, which was, you know, that was tragic enough. But again, I think been doing this long enough uh, is we really need to have a, a process to make sure that uh, we have accurate counts, that we don't dismiss this, that, that we probably have had fatalities. Yeah. But we also have to make sure that we're getting the right information because families are evacuated, are worried sick, and these numbers, unless we can verify them, are causing a lot of stress. So I think, yeah, geez, yeah, there's potential there, but let's let's be very specific and make sure that we're getting the right information, that we're getting Mexican notifications, and that we're you know keeping this as we identify and, and are able to confirm. Understood. And then add that to the numbers. Well, that's good perspective, uh, Craig. Thank you. And in, in our in our remaining moment, I would ask you uh, what you consider the most dangerous thing right now for the people of Florida, those who are particularly in the flooded areas. Is it is it uh, is it power lines? Is it people just being away from their homes? What what concerns you tonight? People getting out and about. Uh, it's a very hazardous situation. We got power lines down. We got flooded yeah. roads. You got all kinds of debris. You have all kinds of things, sewage, gas, and whatever in the floodwaters. Um, in Florida, we know people are more likely to lose their lives even in the days after a hurricane uh, because of the hazard. So it's like yeah. the hardest thing is getting people just that they're safe, stay where they're at, and not try to get out. We just heard it from the former administrator of FEMA, now Chief Emergency Resilience Officer at One Concern, Craig Fugate. Thank you so much for the insights, the expertise. We're going to assemble the panel next and explore the politics surrounding this rescue and relief effort on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. I see pure devastation, pure devastation. Uh, and I pray that the majority of people listen and left before this storm. I pray. The amount of water that's been rising and will likely continue to rise today, even as the storm is passing, uh, is basically a 500-year flood event. This could be the deadliest hurricane in Florida's history. The numbers of still are still unclear, but we're hearing early reports of what may be substantial loss of life. I don't know what's in that debris. I don't know. There's, there's no more buildings in some places. No more homes. Homes are washed away. So do we know there's going to be a death toll? We believe there will be, and I know there will be. I just don't know the numbers. It's coming up my way in South Carolina, so we'll, we'll all be ready. So we want to... Uh, let everybody know we're thinking about them. Landslides are a threat in our mountains, and there's a chance of tornadoes statewide. This storm can still be dangerous and even deadly. My message to the people of Florida and the country is at times like this, America comes together. We're going to pull together as one team, as one America. Sounds from a tough day in Florida and soon to be in the Carolinas as Hurricane Ian set to regain hurricane strength. The headlines scary, too. On the terminal, Biden says reports suggest substantial storm deaths, as we were just discussing with Craig Fugate here on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. As we assemble the panel today, Jeannie Shanzano is with us, Democratic analyst and Bloomberg politics contributor, joined today by Adam Goodman, partner at Ballard Partners, Edward Armuro, senior fellow at Tufts University. It's great to have you both back here. Jeannie, this is a big test. Politics never removed from an event like this. And what a uh, what a contrast to see President Biden working with 
Governor Ron DeSantis for the better of the people. I guess it's a reminder of what their their jobs really are uh, for both of them, but also something that's good to see here and what's a very challenging situation. It is. And, and, you know, I thought Craig Fugate in your conversation made a really important point. This is the job of all the state and federal governments together to work together to do this. And it does require a sub- substantial amount of investment. And it's important that we are there to help rebuild this community in the best way possible. As you know, me personally, just a year ago, got hit very, very hard and personally sure by, hurric- by, by Storm Ida. Not nearly as much damage as they're experiencing down in Florida. So certainly thinking about everybody there, it we still have not recovered here. And it wasn't even you know nearly as big of a storm. Yeah, and, and of course, this is uh, still a very dangerous situation. And there is a potential... Adam Goodman, for a lot more damage and a lot more people to be in harm's way here over the next uh, 24, 48 hours as this thing moves up the eastern seaboard here. The argument, though, for investing in a more resilient infrastructure could never be louder, could it? Uh, Absolutely. One of the things that Craig Fugate actually talked about uh, was were the new building codes that went into play Hmm. after the last major hurricane. Uh, That's going to end up saving a lot of buildings and maybe saving lives. Uh, and I think we're going to need to do even more of that. But what also is going to, is in play here that was happening long before Ian was named uh, is a property insurance crisis of so- sorts in Florida, right. uh, where property homeowners were really getting squeezed, Joe, uh, by rapidly rising premiums. Mm-hmm. Um, I could only imagine what it may be uh, moving forward. But to the one point uh, that was made up front here about the nonpartisan nature of the response. Yes. Hallelujah, right? That instead of a retreat to partisan corners, uh, the president and the governor of Florida had a reunion in the middle of the ring. And that's something I think everyone can feel good about. Well, I sure hope so. I remember Chris Christie being, you know, just criticized heavily for uh, for for hosting Barack Obama following Superstorm Sandy. Granted, you're not going to see Ron DeSantis hugging Joe Biden, Jeannie. At least <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that's not going to happen here. Uh, but, but, but Jeannie, of course, these, these moments can frequently be followed by the blame game. It's, it's probably in both of their interests to keep this going as long as they can. That's right. And Charlie Crist in Florida and Obama, they had a, a he had a similar that? situation as Chris Christie that we remember well. The embrace on the tarmac that, you know, <laughs> really, you know, went viral. Career killing hug. Career killing hug. And, and, you know, we've seen politicians who have been undermined by storm response. This is when you know whether you've got somebody who can truly govern, who is truly capable and competent as they see you through a crisis and its aftermath. The reality is the media will leave in a few days a week these people will be dealing with the devastating impact of this for a That's lifetime right. and this is the job of the governor of of the president and quite frankly of our entire uh, political class and yeah. so it, they do deserve credit for working together and they should be working together important news by the way for those even who watch this might not have heard it the president was off mic somebody shouted a question he is not only planning to go to florida And boy, that's going to be a spectacle because he will be, I assume, greeted by Governor DeSantis when he shows up or maybe he'll have something busy uh, or be busy with something else to do. But he also said he planned to go to Puerto Rico. Adam, uh, how difficult a trip is that going to be to pull off? Uh, It's it's a good trip. uh, It's an important trip. It's an important trip. It's important to show up. You know, as, as with everything in life. 
Uh, it's showing up that really counts. Uh, when every, all the chips are on the table, I, I applaud the president for, for that intention yeah. and for going to Florida. But I think what we saw, what I don't want us to lose in all this is in the state of Florida, you know, I'm a Floridian. Right. Uh, I have a home in Tampa Just a couple Bay. seconds I, left, Adam. Yeah, okay. All I can tell you is that it's a test of fire for Florida governors when you have to <laughs> face a hurricane. And I think the governor of Florida last night came up big. Adam Goodman with us and more to follow. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston, Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119 and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. And so now it's up to the House. With a little more than 24 hours to the deadline, the Senate passed legislation to fund the government. It happened today, of course, without Joe Manchin's permitting bill, which, by the way, included upgrades to the power grid with an eye on Hurricane Ian. We'll talk next with Bloomberg Congress reporter Laura Davison. On this vote, the yeas are 72, the nays are 25, the 60-vote threshold having been achieved, the bill as amended is passed. There it is, 72-25 onto the House. Senator Tina Smith there presiding over the chamber as the Senate passed legislation to fund the government through the middle of December, right? December 16, I think, is the magic date here, and boy, that's going to be fun. But no one is popping corks yet, uh, as Republican House Leader Kevin McCarthy urges all of his members to vote no on the bill feasibly tomorrow. Laura Davison, Bloomberg's Congress reporter, is watching all of this and always great to have you with us, Laura. Uh, is that going to make a difference? I mean, can Kevin McCarthy really get the entire caucus to vote no on avoiding a shutdown? You know, it's possible, but even still, if Democrats stick together, this will still pass. So, you know, expect that the vote will be close here. You might see a couple Republicans break with McCarthy and, and vote with Democrats, uh, but it's going to be largely lopsided of, of Democrats voting yes and Republicans voting no. Uh, but really, it'll pass without a lot of drama. The real question is sort of what happens post midterms. And of right. course, both, the control for both chambers is very close. We don't know what's going to happen. Lawmakers will come back in December, and there's a bunch of things they need to do. And sort of who it come at, came out on top in the midterms is going to determine who has leverage uh, in those year-end negotiations. Yeah, and uh, we'll be talking about another possible shutdown just in time for Christmas, right? We, we love doing it like this every year. Yes, lawmakers like to give themselves these little deadlines, usually right before a holiday or a break. Uh -huh. You know, they're itching to get home to go campaign for the midterms, December 16th, right before the holidays. Uh, so, you know, they usually can, you know, give themselves an extra week. You'll see, you know, there's kind of a week in there. If they can't get a deal by the 16th, mm -hmm. they can still uh, stay in for a couple more days and still be home by Christmas Eve. Uh, <laughs> but that's really the goal here. And, and there's there's a lot that they need to get done. There's some stuff that were left off this bill, uh, yeah. permitting reform for energy right. projects. Mansion had a proposal that got dropped. That's one of the things that they're going to have to come back and address Well, I want to ask you about that because, you know, with the with the hurricane just ravaging the state of Florida, it's not lost on us that that legislation, of course, it did a lot more than reform permitting itself, but it would actually uh, it would boost the federal government's authority to approve electricity transmission lines. This had a there was a large component that was focused on the electric grid, not just, you know, drilling for oil here. High capacity wires uh, that that send electricity to cities and towns that would be more resilient in in times like these. 
Uh, Republicans knew this, though, right? They wanted to have their own bill without Joe Manchin's name on it that might be a bit wider. Is that what you expect? Yeah, so really, uh, you know, the issue here is Republicans and Democrats aren't that far apart on what they want. But remember, this is a deal that Manchin and Schumer struck as a way to uh, facilitate the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. So put anybody else's name on it and Republicans will vote yes, right? You really and, and Senator uh, Shelley Moore Capito, you know, uh, Manchin's colleague from West Virginia, has another mm-hmm. bill. Uh, I suspect we'll see, you know, a little bit of horse trading uh, when they come back in November, December, have a bill that is substantially similar, but that will have the votes to pass on the floor. You've mentioned post midterms a couple of times, Laura, and uh, you were probably there today. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, who I already mentioned, was on the steps of the House uh, with the Republican leadership, if not the entire caucus. Well, it couldn't be the entire, but there was quite a crowd on the steps there. Uh, as he talked about their vision going into the midterm elections and their plans uh, to come out of this as the uh, as, of course, the, the party in control of the House. Here's what he said. On the very first day, our very first bill, we will repeal the 87,000 IRS agents. Got a big round of applause for that. And we've heard this before. Because your government should be here to help you not to go after you. But considering all of the challenges in the world right now, uh, Laura, you know, it's an interesting tack for the the party to take. I know the the Republican Party, and Chris, it's easy to bash the IRS, but wouldn't that imply that the party was somehow endorsing tax fraud? What's the problem with enforcing the law? Yeah, this is really a a tricky line that Republicans are going to have to balance here. The other thing, too, that they're also going to have to, uh, you know, deal with is that they, you know, really don't support more money for the IRS, but they say they want better customer service and better uh, technology systems from the IRS, and those Mm -hmm. don't come free. So they're going to have to try to figure out what level of funding they are comfortable with, what level of increased enforcement. You know, there's uh, the current IRS commissioner estimates uh, that there's a trillion dollars in tax fraud, that it basically taxes that aren't being collected each year. And remember, this is a Trump appointee. This is a this is a Republican. So this yeah. is a, a problem they're going to have to deal with. Uh, Democrats are a little bit more comfortable saying, yes, go after the tax cheats. That's a, you know, a little bit less comfortable for Republicans. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, 87,000. Of course, there was a there was a line out there uh, that was not true, that they would be armed and banging on people's doors and so forth. It's really become uh, kind of a political football in, in the meantime. They, do we know the status of those agents? Are they actually have they been hired? Yeah, so the IRS is getting $80 billion to spend over the next decade. They just got this money, uh, you know, last month. They don't even have the plan yet. They're working on that of how to deploy all that money. Uh, But it's not one, it's not going to be 87,000 agents. That was sort of a number (laughs) that was extrapolated from a report. So that's a little bit of a fact check false um, on that. Uh, But they will be hiring a lot of staff, both for auditors as well as for customer service agents, people to answer the phones, customer service reps. Um, So these are are things that they're working on and will be doled out kind of over over the next decade. Uh, fascinating stuff here. There's $12 billion, by the way, in this continuing resolution for Ukraine. Uh, it was even more than uh, the administration asked for. When we see numbers like that, uh, will that be debated in the House, sent back to the Senate, or do they have no, not enough time and simply have to approve what the Senate sends over? The Senate is really jamming the House here. You know, they are voting on this, you know, the day before the deadline, giving right. it to the House the day of the deadline. The senators are, are, are on their flights headed home. Uh, so that's <laughs> okay. not something they'll be able to negotiate. We'll see if in the fall. So you got to go with what you got. That's the deal for the House. And welcome to Washington, everyone. Laura, it's great to talk to you. Really knows her stuff. Laura Davison, great conversation. Bloomberg Congress reporter. Look for her byline on the terminal as our Washington and specifically Capitol Hill team Cover this thing right up to the line yet again. 
I mean, it really does sound familiar. And at least lawmakers were not threatening. Well, actually, that's not true. There was a group of Democrats threatening to shut down the government weeks ago, but nobody was talking about it like that right up to the line. Wall Street has enough to worry about than have to deal with a government shutdown in the middle of this weeks before, of course, a midterm election cycle. We're going to reassemble the panel next. Adam Goodman and Jeannie Shanzano are with us here on the Thursday edition, Little Friday on Bloomberg Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to go hog hunting and is inviting you. And the January 6th committee sits down with Ginny Thomas today. Just some of the topics that we'll touch with our panel next. And we'll check traffic and markets for you on the way. Thanks for being with us. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. I suppose it's easy to tell your members to vote no on something if you know it's going to pass anyway. But what if it didn't? Wouldn't Kevin McCarthy then carry the blame as the party that forced a government shutdown here in the middle of political games? There is a risk, of course. As we reassemble the panel, Jeannie Shanzano, Democratic analyst and Bloomberg politics contributor, joining us today with Adam Goodman, Republican strategist, partner at Ballard Partners, Edward R. Murrow, senior fellow at Tufts University. It's great to have both of you here. What do you make of that, uh, Jeannie, when you consider the possibility of this going down with midterm elections looming, the blame game would be fierce. It could be fierce. I think they'd be pointing fingers at both sides. But yeah. as, as you just discussed, uh, the Democrats have the vote to get votes to get this through. And I think that's part of the reason that M- McCarthy can make this. No claim. defections. He, no, there probably won't be any defections. I don't want to I don't want to say no, because if mm-hmm. I show up here tomorrow and <laughs> we're in a, no, a no. shutdown then I'll feel very badly. But, you know, I, I think, you know, Kevin McCarthy, you know, his point is he doesn't want his members to have to go back uh, home to their districts and defend right. this vote. Um, yeah. A vote of yes uh, and going along with the Democrats, uh, nor does he want them to uh, have to defend it if they win the House and, and they're battling over what the budget's going to be because, of course, this is just a, another stopgap measure. We're going to do this all over again after the midterms. Adam, I want to ask you uh, what I asked Laura a, a couple of moments ago, this, this line from Kevin McCarthy today on the first thing that Republicans would do if they won the House. On the very first day, our very first bill, we will repeal the 87,000 IRS agents. I'm wondering your thought on that and, and the rationale behind it. I realize it's easy to hate the IRS, and maybe it's just as simple as that, you know, get people wound up about the IRS. But isn't that saying that we prefer not to enforce the tax code? Well, I, I hate to say it's as simple as that. If you were to see a focus group, Joe, uh, and that question were asked, and not just among Republicans, say yeah. even independents, and the question is, should we hire 87,000 more IRS agents at a time uh, when there's economic pressure from inflation that's out of control, from government spending at historic levels? Is this the time to hire 87,000 new agents? <laughs> You'd have people breaking that two-way glass. Right? So it's just good it, politics. It, just throw it, it out there, right? right? Yeah, it's it's politics. Uh, and I think, you know, the point that was made in your in your previous segment is it's over 10 years. So right. it's not like 87,000 people are suddenly going <laughs> right. to show up on American doorsteps tomorrow. Arms, so I think arms, it was for uh, Yes, arms. 
Big news today in Washington I want to ask you both about. You're supposed to have a January 6th hearing uh, yesterday. We don't know when it's going to happen. It was postponed uh, out of deference to those in in the, the, the storm track in Florida in the path of the storm. But we, we saw today that Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, actually sat for a, a deposition, actually testified before the committee today. A uh, reporter from CNN captured her walking by. It's really, it was kind of odd. She's walking with uh, the legal team, probably a security uh, guard, and was just smiling. She was all smiles, clearly, you know, knew how to do this and would only say thank you to every question. Ms. Thomas, why do you feel like you need to speak to the committee to clear your name? Thank you for being here. Did you speak with your husband about your beliefs of the election being stolen? Thank you for your question. I look forward to answering members. And in they went. And now I see on the terminal here, the conservative activist, wife of Justice Thomas, reiterated to the House panel that last year's storming of the Capitol, on that day, her belief was that there was something wrong with the election results. She told the panel that the election was flawed. Jeannie, there were questions today about whether the uh, committee postponed this hearing so they could include her testimony. That was shot down. But there's something to that, isn't there? Yeah, th- I think there is. And, you know, we they'd have to have a whole other hearing with this if they <laughs> didn't get it in. Yeah, yeah, they they would have to. But, you know, I think what's startling here is we're coming close to the first Monday in October when the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court's new term comes into play. Gallup has a poll out which shows Americans' trust in the court has declined dramatically, a 20-point drop from two years ago. You have Ginny Thomas testifying today saying she didn't discuss these issues with her husband. Many people, whether they find that hard to believe or not, that's what she's saying. But she also apparently reiterated her belief that the 2020 election was stolen. So we are talking about the legitimacy of and trust in a very important branch of government. And, you know, the politicization of the court is real and it is very problematic, regardless of which party you are in. Adam, Benny Thompson, the chair of the committee, uh, was asked if he believed uh, that Justice Thomas should recuse himself. This has been a question in Washington since this whole Ginny Thomas thing emerged. He said, quote, I think members of the Supreme Court ought to be held to the same ethical standards that other judges are held to, unquote. Should Justice Thomas recuse himself? Uh, I think uh, I don't believe so. I think no? to Ginny's point about the declining reputation of the court, which, by the way, Joe, put it in the context of the declining faith Americans have in almost every institution there is. In fact, the only things that are still relatively popular are the military, small business, according to Pew Research, the military, small business, and at times the police. Everything else is below the cut line of confidence. Uh, Jenny really believes that the there was a problem with the election. She believed that back when. She believes it now. She's not alone, and which raises the bigger question, which is, when are we going to do something to restore faith in the ba- in the integrity of the ballot, where people believe that a winner is actually a winner, as opposed to just an excuse to say that one was stolen, and suddenly the legitimacy of everyone who stands for election is being questioned? My gosh, I don't know where this is going here, uh, Jeannie, but the calendar is sensitive. Uh, we've also got the midterm elections that could be coming, you know, depending on where this lands two weeks later. 
Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we we are staring down at the midterm election, um, you know. It, and they're accused a, of thumbing the scale. Exactly. And, and you know, just to follow up, I, I, I was just looking at the data that Adam's talking about. In the early 1960s, 75% of Americans had trust in the government. That oh is God. down close to one out of five, you know, depending on what year you're looking now. It's yeah, a dramatic decrease in a really frightening, you know, picture of where we are today in American government. That's something. But have you heard about the hog hunting? <laughs> this is sport. Stop me dead in my tracks uh, today. Marjorie Taylor Greene. I suppose it's not the first time. Adam saw it. I can already tell. Out with a new <laughs> ad inviting people to enter a contest to not only go hog hunting, but go hog hunting from helicopter. Complete with the rock soundtrack. We've got here. skyrocketing inflation, high diesel fuel, and Democrats' America last policies. Democrats aren't the only one destroying farmers' ability to put food no, on the hogs. table. We've got wild hogs destroying farmers' fields. So we decided to go <laughs> hog hunting. Yeah. And you see her actually with an AR-15 or whatever the heck style uh, assault weapon. She's hanging out of the door of a helicopter shooting hogs from the air. And then is posing with the let's dead hog on the ground. Farmers out. Sign up below go. and let's go in that helicopter and go hog hunting. I feel like we should maybe just enter. I mean, it would be good for the program. But, you know, it's interesting as it turns out, Jeannie, as I read uh, on the internets. While hunting may seem like the answer, Newsweek reports the USDA says it actually makes things worse. The pigs become nocturnal. And will travel more than a hundred miles to avoid hunters. So she seems to be sending the hogs to someone else's farm. You gonna sign up for this, Jeannie? <laughs> I did I too watched the video or the the ad and you know these these hogs are under attack. We had Bill Cassidy talking about feral hogs. Now she's talking about hogs, yeah. you know, likening them to Democrats and you know, poor hogs, as you mentioned, they're gonna run away. They're gonna all run to DC to see you, Joe. And yeah, you good, know, good. they're gonna be multiplying nocturnally. Um, you know, listen, <laughs> she's talking about, you know, the harm that Biden did to farmers, hence this need to uh right. Right. I guess destroy the feral hogs. Yeah. She never mentions the harm that Trump did to to farmers in the trade war with China, and the uh, you know the amount of stimulus that followed that. So the little bit of problem I had with the logic, and you know, <laughs> just putting aside the uh, great music and the unfortunate oh, oh, right. chasing of these hogs. Adam, uh, this ad has been watched more than three hundred and seventy thousand times on Twitter. Uh, oh, yeah. Since it went up two days ago or something, what what is this? What is her brand? What would her brand be in a new Republican House majority? And I ask you that, remembering that she was sitting right behind Kevin McCarthy at his commitment to America speech on Friday. I think that you, if you put a caption underneath her right now, uh, it, it for and, and give it a name, it would be Hog Wild. Right. She's gone hog wild. She has uh, she's gone from the outlandish to the outrageous. She's uh -huh. never had a problem with that. Yeah. She likes getting attention. Clearly, this is what this is. I feel sorry for the hogs, by the way, uh, for the record. But, you know, sometimes the rush to go viral is not always good for your political health. I think right, at some right. point, you know, this the a price will be paid for this. It's for effect. It's an it's a it's a compelling ad. If you if you're if you're talking about recall, but it's a kind of a repulse <laughs> that. When you talk about kind of what was. was really going on here. Yeah, shooting from helicopters, Jeannie. Well, so, although, Jeannie, she'll be back on committees, though, right? 
Yeah, I, I think she kidding. will. Yeah, and Kevin McCarthy is going to rue the day she was right behind him because she's going to be pushing him right if he's speaker. That's the truth, too. Jeannie Shanzano, thank you. Adam Goodman, thank you. A great panel and a great conversation today on the fastest hour in politics. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. They say it's going to be Friday. This is Bloomberg.